like that piece of music. It's got a Middle Eastern kind of feel to it. All right, enough of me grooving out. <laughs> hello, hello, and welcome, everybody, to Ancestral Eyes, episode 16. We have a guest that we've never met before, and our guest tonight is Dr. Gian Michael Salvato, and I'd like to welcome him to our show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you and, for having me. <laughs> and I'm going to welcome my co-host, Jean Jerome. Hello. I feel like I haven't talked to you in ages, a whole 24 hours. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's been a busy week. Blessings to everybody. Welcome, uh, Dr. Salvato, to our show. It is an honor to have you with us and uh, looking very much forward uh, for your presentation and, and our discussion. And uh, welcome and uh, good evening to all those tuning in for episode 16 already. It's amazing. Wow. Already, yes, already at 16. I know. Sweet 16. So, uh, Jean Jerome, I just wanted to ask you, what was that piece of music that you just played? I really like that. It had a real sultry feel to it. Well, in, in, in uh, thanks to again to Utu, Witch Doctor, for <gasps> his kindness in allowing us to use his uh, music for the Dragon Ritual Drummers in our shows. I thought the for tonight's uh, show that Serpentine Seduction oh, offers many that. different variants and interesting connotation we could explore. So uh, I thought it would be I love a it. very good way to, I, to introduce our guest. I love it. I think it's great. Um, thank you, Utu, for your music. And uh, I have a cat in my lap here, so let me just try to make Kitty fly. Get lost! There we go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Kitty can fly, but Kitty's coming back. Anyway, hopefully I can kick her under the table and nobody knows. Not hard, but you know, Kitty kick, right? <laughs> Get lost, cat. Anyway. <laughs> so here we are. It's Friday yet again. And I want to uh, begin our show by reading the introduction to our guest. So tonight we have Dr. Gian Michael Salvato. He's a holistic mystic. I like that. <laughs> Dr. Gian Michael Salvato is an author, an anthropologist, an alchemist, an intersectional feminist, herbalist, and a retired naturopathic physician who identifies himself as a witch. I love male witches. There's so few of them. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Okay. And not only as a witch, but as a root worker in the Italian hereditary folk magic tradition, Stregoneria. I want to know all about it. I'm not too familiar with it. So I'm looking forward to this episode. I really am. Also, our guest is a co-creator of the world's first social network. Hmm, okay, we're going to have to talk about that. And an author of 10 books and more than 5,000 published articles. He is the host of Masca and the Mystic and a new series entitled The Holistic Mystic. All right, so where do we begin with this? Well, first of all, I, I want to know, and for the benefit of 
a lot of people who are tuning in that are not too familiar with strega or stregona, stregonaria. Could you sort of give us a little bit of a definition of what that is? And we'll go from there. Absolutely. And, and just because I know that you, like us, um, broadcast on YouTube and uh, Facebook, um, just so because some folks who've listened to my videos and, and uh, we start to, to see more and more native Italians watching the, the videos, they feel nice. compelled, as I probably would myself, when they hear me say on those videos, Stregoneria, um, instead of Stregoneria, that they want to know either am I Hispanic and I'm pronouncing it the Hispanic way or do I just not know how to speak Italian? Um, <laughs> and if you, I'm just going to say that if you're on YouTube and you have captioning on, you will see the difference because YouTube's uh, artificial intelligence translates the Italian word for witchcraft, stregoneria, mm -hmm. uh, as stregoneria. And so it just made sense to me that rather than having that issue, that we say stregoneria, because that's how all of my friends and, and family that are Puerto Ricano and everything would pronounce it anyway. Um, so so stregoneria or stregoneria is, um, is essentially a, uh, a construct that's applied over Italian uh, magical practice, because those of us that are, that are Italian for whom this was our native practice, our family practice, um, we never really called it by any name. It was called our way, or it was called Falu Santucci, do a little holy thing. Um, but but we don't, you know, the, it wasn't until uh, the, the sort of the modern era when we, like so many other practitioners in, in the British craft and trad craft and Alexandrian mm -hmm. magic, reclaimed the word witch. Um, so, so you would, if you would hear somebody when I was growing up, if somebody were called a strega, it was a pejorative term, um, even among our practitioners. Oh, that, that one, she's a strega. Uh, but, but as, as we reached in, into like the seventies and eighties and, and by, by virtue and hard work of so many, um, British and American, uh, practitioners who reclaimed that word. Yes. The Italian are starting to catch on as well. So Stregoneria really refers to a uh, just the magical practice itself. And then in every region and within those regions in every family, there are subtle differences that, that exist that actually make up our particular craft. Thank you. Thank you. That's a perfect way to describe it. Because I was going to say the last five or six years is when I really began hearing that term. And there were books that have been re recently written about that. And um, I like the fact that, yes, again, we are claiming that name and there's nothing wrong with that name. Uh, it, it's interesting because recently I had come into contact with someone who said that um, a little small town near where I live said they might have a problem with me calling myself a witch. And I said, well, I don't have a problem with myself being called a witch. I said, if someone has a problem, that's their problem, not mine. That's not gonna in any sort of way, shape or form, you know, influence what we do as a negative way okay we've got to move past that and and i appreciate the fact that you have taken that and 
that word, that name and made it your own, and especially in our own cultures. Absolutely. I think it's quite important to do that. So now, with regards to Stregoneria, whoops, sorry, cat in the way. Um, would you say that this is something you yourself was raised with in your home? Yes. Yeah. So I would say a, a couple of things. Way, One, yes. In that the, the books that were written in recent years have, uh, uh, unfortunately, have not been about Stegonaria at all. They've been about an American innovation. Um, and, and I want to be clear when I say that it's an American innovation, it, it simply happens to have been created in the 70s and 80s. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. doesn't make that invalid by any stretch because no. some, sometimes people hear something that I'm not saying. That, that was created by a guy by the name of Raven Gramasi, uh, who, yes. who, whose claims of, of initiation or non-initiation have changed over the years variously. Um, but it was that was essentially Stregaria. Stregaria is, is what all of those other books are made up of, of, about. And that's essentially Wicca with Italian herbs and seasonings. It's, a, it's a, an expression of Wicca that was um, adapted to Italian-American, not Italian, um, ways of, of life and thinking and, and so forth. Um, and, and it's beautiful. It's a re it's, Stregaria is a religion. Stregoneria right. is not a religion at all. Um, so okay. so in, within Italy, as I, to answer your question now, as I was raised, I was raised with two distinctions. One was the practice of the old religion, that only some of the family engaged in. The old religion being the Vecchia religion uh, or Vec Vecchia religione, which, which is uh, a, uh, an aspect of devotion to Diana and Dianus um, in yes. their various forms and under various names. Um, and then there was the craft and the craft was not religious. It had no connection to the gods and goddesses. Um, it was all about the what we might say was, was divided into two components, the male component, where the uncles and the cousins, male cousins, taught the boys, and then the female uh, component, which was the grandmothers and aunts and, and, uh, and cousins teaching the girls. Um, the, the males learned hermeticism, what we would call in, in English in America, her, a hermetic tradition, the mystery school tradition, main, mainly Egyptian influence. The women would teach the herbology and would teach the um, what, what uh, can be called segnatori, the, the gestures, sigil work uh, mm -hmm. in, in English. Um, and because I was recognized early on as a non-binary child, uh, gender non-binary, orientation non-binary, uh, the uh, superstition or mythology within the family was that those kids that, that are non-binary get taught both. Um, yeah. I don't know whether it was because they superstitiously didn't want to miss out on, on teaching the right one um, or or whether they really did embrace that there was something unique about, about yeah. that, that expression. And so I learned from the uncles and the aunts and I learned from uh, the grandmothers and, and I didn't have a, a grandfather growing up, but by the, um, the great uncles and, and so forth. And and so it, so I grew up like I said we we didn't call the craft the craft it was just something that you were initiated into when you were six years old um, at at you know the Christmas Eve um, 
that happened to be the night that it was done. That comes from a particular, that tradition comes from a particular region in Italy where they believed that was how you could figure out who was a witch and who wasn't because they believed the witches were always born on a full moon, always on Christmas Eve. Um, mm -hmm. So there's some of that ancient mythology that gets tied in there. Um, and, uh, and so I grew up knowing that it was just our way and that when somebody mm -hmm. had the, the headaches or they had what, what we would perceive as the maloikyo, we would um, do the, the uh, diagnosis and we would do the removal. If somebody needed to manifest something in their lives, we did the, the hermetic approach of creating that thing in thought, manipulating the energies around that thing. And so growing up, that just seemed natural to me. That, And I right. don't know how old I was before I realized not everybody did that. Right, right. Now, when you said it, it was particular to one part of the country in Italy, where was that? Was it? Um, I, I, I believe that the, the tradition of the, the superstition that witches were always just born on a full moon and always on Christmas Eve, I think that comes from the Lombardy region. Um, it wasn't part of, it's not part of the, the Sicilian, you know, Sicilian uh, tradition or the Southern Italian tradition. Um, so, so in the Afro-Sicilian tradition, which is was our family's tradition, um, it, it was a combination of, of African and Basque and, and Celtic uh, um, mm -hmm. cultures that made up right. our tradition. And we just believed that everybody was magical. And that it's just nice. a matter of culti cultivating that magic. Nice. I like that. So you basically grew up with that. Now, again, everybody knows that Italy is, is very Catholic as well. So was there a lot of adaptation of Catholic ritual? Was going to church okay? Um, basically, I get the impression with Stegoneria that it is a folk tradition that in encompassed Catholicism. Am I right in believing that? Um, according to the people that practice stegeria, that's how they use the word stegoneria or stegoneria um, is, is as folk Catholicism. Um, however, and, and so from, from our family's perspective, no, that wasn't really how, how we see it. However, um, in, within our, the context of our family, not everybody, like I said, practiced the old religion. Um, and right. so I grew up in a family, you know, which which was um, half uh, Sicilian and Southern Italian, uh, and and the other half uh, were um, Hungarian, uh, Romani, um, Slavic Slavic practitioners. Um, and so they all, on on both sides, all practiced Catholicism. And then, right. we, and then because of the little sect within our within our family that did not include, by the way, my my parents. Um, who practiced the old religion, um, the old religion was always practiced much in the same way that, uh, that in the Afro-Caribbean traditions, Santeria uh, arose, where we had to, to hide our, our practices beneath the veneer of Catholicism because of colonialism. Um, you know, colonialism particularly uh, struck uh, uh, Sicily as well and the Southern Kingdom of Sicily. Um, and so the family would always say, you know, one in one in each generation, one kid would go to seminary and become a Catholic priest and, right. and protect right. them. So I was that kid. Um, I went to seminary. I entered the Franciscans when I was 16 um, for, for a very particular reason, a very particular personal connection to uh, Francis of Assisi and what he represented for 
for me and for our people. Um, and and I think you may understand that connection as well. And um, and then I went on to become uh, s several years later to be consecrated as a bishop over the Franciscan community, um, what they call the bishop protector. And wow. during that entire time, I felt um, perhaps because I was young and perhaps because I was naive um, that it, that we were mature enough as a as a society for me to let people know that they did not need the church, the church needed them, and that we could be out and open and come out of the broom closet. Um, and, and that began the process of, of about a four year process of my um, slowly retiring and walking away from the institution because I couldn't serve mm -hmm. in that capacity oh. anymore. Right, right. No, I, I can totally <laughs> relate, um, yeah. I can totally relate in that sense. I mean, you know, coming from a Slavic background as well, um, our form of Catholicism, I, I always thought everybody sort of practiced the way we did. I mean, when I grew up, we had our little idiosyncrasies. These were our old pagan ways, right? And, um, you know, and then when I met other Catholics, you know, and Catholics, you know, from, from an English background or whatever, right? I was always amazed that they didn't do what we did. And it was like, well, what do you do then? You know? So it seemed, it seemed a little odd to me, you know, um, when I, when I went to work and I had met some Italian ladies that I had worked with and, um, they started to tell me some of their folk traditions. Right. And I said, yeah, we kind of do that, but we do this, you know, and whatever. And then, you know, it sort of occurred to me that, um, Italy isn't as Roman Catholic as I always thought they were, okay? Which was nice to see, okay? It really was because, I mean, I know, to me, it was very restricting in one sense, the church, right? So I can totally see why you had walked away, right? Now, going back to what you had said, um, so given the fact that the families, all right, I you know, sort of gave up their, their firstborn or, or their male child to the church. Those that subsequently were in the family, was it up to the men to take the male children and teach them? Was that an expected thing? And what was it that they taught them? Is it something that you can talk about? Um, yeah. And then tell me what the females were taught too, just right. to give us a bit of a background. Well, I hope I'm not breaking any rules or anything. No, 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 no. If, if it weren't uh, for, for my being gender non-binary or and, and orientation non-binary, um, I would have been, and it's not necessarily in, when we think of family, it's not the immediate family, it's the mm -hmm. extended, like what, what I call the Italian family. Um, okay. That might be cousins and uncles and aunts. So, so not everybody in every family, um, every every individual family doesn't have a practitioner. Um, right. The in, in okay. Southern Italy and in in the Afro-Cetrullo tradition, um, it was generally one supposed to be one per generation, where you picked the person who was going to become uh, the the teacher and and the practitioner for that family. Okay. Um, it was so that was almost kind of a calling, and there, there it was. It's there's an initiation that takes place on Christmas Eve, um, and as I said, it may be that the uncles and the grandfather, if the grandfather's mm -hmm. with them, um, you know, talk to and, and begin 
at the age of six by teaching um, teaching kind of of kids like story um, telling to the young child that that gradually evolves and changes and shifts and includes a little bit of practice and a little bit of exercise. Um, and from the male's perspective, from the female perspective, it starts with a, a, a ritual that we call the maloikyo, which is the removal of the evil eye. And, um, and so the little girls would learn that. Now in other parts of Italy, um, particularly in the central part of Italy, uh, it's, it's grandmother to grandson on Christmas Eve, and they teach the grandson that tradition. So my suspicion is that, um, and as, as you know, somebody who's doctorates in anthropology, is that a lot of these traditions uh, evolved out of and came from some of the same places, and that as they came from some of the same places, um, they, um, they, they merged or, or melded with some of the cultures that were around them. And, and so while we try to show respect to all of the different cultures and all the different areas, um, we, we also have to, to like scratch our heads and wink, wink, nod, nod, and say, um, you know, maybe it didn't really matter whether, you know, maybe it's just somebody was more comfortable. Maybe somebody's grandfather or uncle was more comfortable teaching hermeticism to the boys um, because they didn't want the boys in the kitchen. You know, maybe right. grandma, the boys would be too clumsy. So, so in, right. in our children overall, um, the, the women would learn how to use the herbs. They would learn about the plants that they, that they cultivated mm -hmm. in their gardens mm -hmm. and the medicinal mm -hmm. uses and, and yes. the, the high altar in an Italian house is the kitchen table. So we don't yes. necessarily have an altar altar. Um, right. They have uh, like little mini altars on a shelf, but the mm -hmm. altar is table so so the little girl had to learn how to consecrate that space how to to create that sacred space and and how where where we could see we're more familiar with like british tradcraft and the alexandrian tradition um some of the things we see on t depicted on tv that have their their um, roots in those traditions uh, the the italian tradition and celtic traditions are very very similar in that the house was all the sacred space. Yes. The heart was the center of the sacred space. And so the yes. so where you might cast a circle in, in some traditions in Europe, um, the Italians would do it with you know a spoon in their hand or or a flick of the wrist. And it was yes. just the acknowledgement yes. that we're just moving the energy, but we can yeah. move the energy and cast a circle yes. like that, or you can cast a circle with with ritual tools. Um, so, so that was right. that was kind of what we what we experienced. That was kind of the, um, and, and and I was naturally drawn to the kitchen. Um, you know, I I was the typical you know little gay boy, um, you know who was who wanted to cook and wanted to clean and wanted to read the books and when I wanted to do it all. I wanted to do the nice. stuff, humble stuff with my boy, my male cousins, and I wanted to yeah. do the the cooking and. and cultivating the herbs and I wanted to, to be the one that was out there talking to the spirits of the plants and the, you know, and the uh, fauna, the land. Of course, who wouldn't? I mean, yeah. that's so much I more think everything really I think. <laughs> And you that's know? why we just started. This is the first time uh, this, this course that I'm teaching, a 26 week course, um, is to, to the chagrin of some of my family members and some other Italians around the world. Um, we decided, I spent the last two years 
uh, trying to distill the 21 different um, Italian uh, magical traditions, folk magic traditions, folk Catholicism into a um, 26 week course that I could teach male and female, because I think we're, we're in a moment in time and in space where the best, the greatest healing that we can give to the world is to recognize that, you know, what, what I grew up believing was Italian was, you know, Siciliano only, um, is Af actually Afro Sicilu. And, and that that tradition actually was informed by the Celtics and it was informed by you. When you grew up in Philadelphia, where there's neighborhoods, the Italians and the Irish were at one another's throat half of the time. And we wouldn't, neither one of us would have, an, have a magical tradition if it wasn't for the other one. Right, right. No, absolutely. It's the, it's the, the melding of all of these traditions, really, you know, that sort of formulate. Fill in the gaps who we are now. And I think it's a natural progression. It truly is, you know. So given that you, you've you grown up this way, and, and like you said, you've done a course, um, do you, is there something that you do on a daily basis for yourself to keep you in touch with your spirits? I'm, I'm assuming when you talk about your spirits, you're talking not just about your ancestors, but your own personal guides. Is that correct? Yeah. In, in, in my path, uh, and, and in, in our tradition, um, we work with, we, we, we believe a couple things. One, we believe that there is, um, this, this, energy that science has now quantified or not quantified but labeled as zero point energy that we called thought um, and that all uh, matter materializes from thought and that all that the witch does is manipulate energy around people places and things and and to the extent that the that the practitioner um, works in harmony with all other spiritual, energies, if you want to call it, but for us, we just call them spirits, um, with all of those other spirits, including the ancestors and including the oldest of the ancestors, what we call the old ones, um, that some people call gods, other people call Orishas, other people call uh, whatever they call them. Um, right. To the extent right. that we work in communion and cultivate relationship with that, with them, um, mm -hmm. our own ability is, is increased to the extent that we're out of balance or out of harmony with, with those other spirits, mm -hmm. um, then, then our energies face challenges. And so part of my right. daily practice is to start with gratitude to the old ones. Um, and, you know, nice. who have, you know, literally saved my life on numerous occasions. Um, and, and then to um, be mindful of the fact that I share this space with this, you know, with the house spirits, with the genius loci, um, yes. with the spirits of the, the land. Um, and then to be grateful because I live in a city, I live in the, the capital city of Pennsylvania. Um, and so it's a bit of a concrete jungle, but we can go, I can go three blocks down the street and be at the riverfront. Um, but I have the kind of relationship where, because I'm not, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Um, I don't necessarily know all of the plants of this locality because I really grew up right more in the South than I did up here. So when I say, okay, spirit of, of you know, Datura, I need you right now. Um, what mm -hmm. can I, what, what plant can you bring to me to do this working? 
Um, it doesn't surprise me when in the middle of the sidewalk, uh, you know, by the by the street, we came home one day and Dutura was growing. Um, wow. That's that's not yeah. uh, that isn't yeah. John Michael's magic. That's the magic. That's the the grace and generosity of the spirit of the plants that say, okay, Absolutely. we got this. We got your back. Absolutely. You know, to me, it sounds um, not just folk magic and root work, but when we say that word root worker and root work, it, it, it's kind of overplayed um, in the sense that we forget the basis of that, which is actually working with the plant itself and the spirit of the plant. And I think that that's important to acknowledge, right? Um, when, when you do your own practice and you, 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 you know, give thanks and in gratitude to all the spirits and that. Is there one in particular that you work with? Like, for example, is there a, could it be a saint that you're working with? Is there something that you yourself can attune to in order to, to continue doing your practice? Or do you just, as you said, ask for the plant spirit of Tutura to come forward and and is that how you you do your working or do you have one in particular um yes and no like that's that's a that's a tough one to answer because i could give um really great pop culture answers to that 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 depending on an audience they would it would re it would resonate with them um because they're if if you don't i have my camera intentionally blurred so that my altar isn't really clear at the back um if you right. saw some of the images that are on the altar, you might think that, you know, there's there's, uh, you know, Saint Francis there, and then there's a, a much more African uh, looking um, mm -hmm. representation on that on that particular altar. That um, to a Catholic, that might mean that I had a devotion to Saint Francis, who I, I think was an amazing uh, uh, inspiration in my life and an influence mm -hmm. in my life. But for mm -hmm. me, I'll, I'm just comfortable saying that doesn't represent that St. Francis doesn't always necessarily represent St. Francis. Uh, for right. me, uh, right. it, it, it actually represents a, a deeper personal relationship. And, and right. so for me, while I'm very respectful of the fact that, that um, some of these, these syncretic practices arose out of having to respond to colonialism, and enslavement and and abuse right. and oppression. Um, the I do also feel that there's a gift that future generations have gotten from that, and that I get to keep my relationships private and personal, um, okay. and the most the most intimate of my relationships. Um, right. To answer the question, yes, there are there are spirits or entities or gods or rishas or however whatever label might apply um that i have a very close personal relationship with but, okay. I, but I i can't really say that there is one or two um th there are one or two that i have been told by in numerous traditions this this entity this spirit is all over you um has your back uh you know courses through your blood you belong to them um and 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 i certainly think that they that they're correct in that um, but there, it's like trying to say which one of your family members or which one of your grandparents do you love the most? I literally can't do it 
I, 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 because I work with so many, I think if I, if I did like I was probably supposed to and focused on one yeah. and really cultivated right. that relationship, I might have an easier answer, but I work with, with no problem wherever I feel called to work. I know that sounds like no I was evading the question and I was, <laughs> but, um, it's just, I think it's you one answered of that ideas. question perfectly, you know, without revealing too much. And, and again, I think that is a personal thing. I just wanted to, I not so much know who it is as much as that you do and others. I mean, I myself, you know, you, you know, I do too as well. And um, I don't have a problem with it at all. And it, it's, it doesn't take away from what I do or what I practice. Okay. I break a little bit of the rules. I don't always make the offering that is prescribed. Um, right. but over cultivate by cultivating that relationship, there there are there is one in particular in in a male aspect and one in a female aspect that I have coffee with every morning. That's the easiest Perfect. way to answer that question. I love it. An espresso, no doubt. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Jean Jerome, you look like you're waiting to ask something. No, there are a couple of things, but 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 that's actually uh, Jim Michael brings up a very interesting point, which is again breaking certain set structures or norms, uh, traditions, and all that, and adapting the relationship or the relationship being really intimate between the individual and and, and the divinities or the spirits that manifest. There is really, although many you know practitioners may try to impose a set structure. Uh, at the end of the day, right. what really the ashe, the real energy, is 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 that you know chemistry between your your joto, your guardian, ancestral spirit, and the energies and the and the divinities, whether as they say the orisha, whatever tradition they come from, or whatever land they come from, if we want to use that that metaphor, that description. Uh, but that's really where the magic begins, because yes. I've seen many cases where. You know, people will follow a particular script, uh, or as Doctor Jim Michael says as well. You know, there's the the popular response that you know typical uh, people like to hear, or they're used to getting the you know the, the standard response. But it's not the truth. No. It, it's it's a it's a, a facade and a, a, an essentially fabricated image, uh, yeah. and that really doesn't represent the truth of the relationship and the the magic if you will that occurs yeah. between that relationship between that individual which is fulfilling a mission on earth in in a in this human body and the the divine entities as well as ancestors that surround them to help them accomplish that mission right absolutely no absolutely i think and, and and i i think without insulting any one tradition or um the way they practice you're right john jerome it, it's almost like this framework has to to fall in place in order for someone to feel something or to do something and it never really sat right with me that's why i had to do what i did and break away and do what i do right now so that brings me to what I wanted to ask you, uh, Gian Michael, is what is it that you do? Uh, you've written so many books, okay? So 
Um, can you just give me sort of a, a, a broad scope of the type of books you have written before we get into what type of um, practice that you focus on? Is it sure. um, reading like a like a medium or do you actually do like when you say a root worker, do you actually come up with herbal concoctions for people? That type of thing. But just sort of give me a, a quick rundown of the type of books. Sure. I think that might answer my yeah. question. So the, the books that I wrote kind of followed the, the journey, kind of followed my quest to find expression for something that's really important to me. And, and it, one of the things that just kind of like clicked that could have been an easier answer to give you for the last point was, I think one of the reasons, I, I'm just re actually realizing this in, in my head in, in real time, so thank you for this. Um, one of the reasons I, I'm so protective about saying uh, who the relationships are with is because um, I, I grew up with with grandparents who said very, very strongly um, that cultural appropriation is wrong, that that um, you have to have respect for people who were more oppressed, that when our people first came to this country, because my father is dark skinned and, and his ancestors were darker skinned and before that was darker skinned, that we have to, to you know, understand that where they came from and the sacrifices they made. So I want to be respectful and not seem like when I say I don't make the same prescribed offerings that might be you know, prescribed for a particular entity, that I'm not taking somebody else's culture and saying, oh yeah, well, I have a, re I have a relationship to this person, but I don't make the traditional offerings. I don't feel like it's, it's respectful for me to do that, but I also right. don't want, want to lie and pretend like I make the traditional offerings that I don't. Yes. So the first yes. books that I wrote looked at at the um, Christian and or, you know, sort of the Catholic and Buddhist um, philosophies, or the, the Catholic religion and the Buddhist philosophy. And I attempted early on in my, in my monastic career um, to help people to understand that I believe that Rabbi Yeshua, that Rabbi Jesus, um, you know, in, in those missing years, um, studied with, with the Egyptian therapeutae, which were Tibetan Buddhist monks. Um, mm -hmm. And so that, that his, what he, his entire corpus of teaching wasn't religious at all. It was um, no. philosophical. And so it was much more in, in harmony with Buddhist teaching than it would have been with Judaism or, or with uh, what mm -hmm. became Catholicism. Mm -hmm. So those first couple books were about that. Then I started to weave in a little bit of the magical teachings and a little bit of, of Svegonaria and a little bit of, of alchemy and hermeticism. Um, and then as the books continued to evolve, I started to deal more with what we might call in, in the present day more new thought type topics kind of detaching it from all of the other cultural inculcations and just really dealing with the science and then this last book um, after reading some of of Gramassi's work and and frankly being really frustrated by the representation um, was was my saying okay look there's a difference between Italian magical practice uh, Italian root work, Italian folk magic, and the old religion. They're two separate and distinctive things. There is zero overlap. I mean, when we go, when you go to a Catholic church, as I say, if you go into a Catholic church for the first time, you've never seen a Catholic, you don't even know what Catholicism is. If the first right. person you meet is a priest, you might have the inclination to think everybody that is there is a priest, or right. if the first person you see is a nun. 
so so when Charles Leland went to the Boschetto, because we know that Italians don't talk about our tradition to Americans, to, to non non you know Italians. Um, right. If he, if he did meet an Italian practitioner, she wasn't mm -hmm. going to tell him the truth, but she might say, come to the Boschetto, come to the Grove, and mm -hmm. you'll see a religious ceremony, a liturgy, um, to honor right. Diana and Dianus. So he may have gone there and thought, oh, so this is a gathering of witches. And there were probably yeah. some witches there, but there were probably some right. bakers there. There were probably some shopkeepers and teachers and yes. shoemakers yes. and everything else. So that last book was about, hey, there are two totally different things. There's some intersectionality that occurs like they do in everything in our lives. Um, but mm -hmm. my practice as, as it is today and, and has been probably for about 40 of the, of the 50 years, 51 years now that I've been practicing, um, is is really that I would say probably what you would term in English as shamanic root work. Um, so so I do some of the medicine healing. I do some, uh, and and the medicine healing is always it's it's so interwoven. I don't I don't create a, a potion or a tincture or an herbal remedy mm -hmm. um, without doing divination work. Um, it's that's just part of our practice. So, so there's divination that goes into that part of the work. Um, I, I may do readings for people, although I don't do those very often by themselves. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not a, um, like a commercial witch, like, like not, not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with that, but I don't have a shop. I don't, I don't do readings for, you know, psychic fairs and things like that. Um, but I do readings when they're related to a working that has to be done. Um, or when I need to consult with what's the best remedy for this solution. Um, and, and then the other, the biggest portion of what I do um, as, as, a, um, as, as a strega, as, as whatever is, and that's why we call the show Masca and the Mystic, is the joke between me and my co-host is that we want people to figure out which one's the Masca, which is one of the terms for witches, and which one's the Mystic, because the answer is both. <laughs> Um, okay. okay, is kind of the role of the mystic. Like, like I think that that we have, uh, we live in a society that's fractured by binary thinking, um, or dualism, as as it's called, as sometimes taught. So there's magic over here, and there's uh, science over here, and there's always going to be that tension between the two, even though I think there is spectrum. Until we put the third piece, the missing piece, I think, is mysticism. And, and so Perfect. a big portion of what I do is okay. try to teach the, the um, seeker to unlock the DNA um, that has the key to their mysticism. Because it's not my mysticism. My mysticism doesn't matter to you. It doesn't matter to somebody else. It's whatever that mystical right. knowledge is it's within you. And it's in your DNA. It's in your blood. And, and that unlocks the magic. And it also unlocks the wisdom. Okay. Now, okay, so when you say that, so if someone was to come to you, uh, you know, obviously because you're a naturopath, right? So you actually use your practice and I can see how you became a naturopath given your background, right? So if someone was to come to you, for example, and, and, and let's say they, they, they say something ails them, you obviously can whip that up by your knowledge as a naturopath and 
do you do that strictly from, oh, I know this because I'm a naturopath, or do you always go back to your divination and say, let me divine and see? And, yeah. and do you do it right then and there? Or do you tell them, call me back in about, you know, five hours or so, and I will, I will give you a prescription, so to speak, right? That, that's an awesome question. It was one of the things that marked a, a difference in my naturopathic practice. Um, and, and even when I, when I deal with people today, even though I'm retired now and, and don't practice clinically, mm -hmm. I have to say mm -hmm. that legally. Um, uh, when, when somebody came to me, uh, the, their appointment might have been at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, but my preparation for their appointment always began 30 minutes sooner. So there was always a spiritual Perfect. level to the preparation um, because we didn't have, when somebody's, you know, got a chronic Ill or, or serious illness. Um, we don't always have the luxury of time. And so yeah. it's more all the more important for me to cultivate those relationships. So I draw on the wisdom of knowing what plants do what. And, right. and in that moment, while they're telling me what's going on, I'm listening with one ear and with the other ear, I'm listening, to, you know, one foot in another in another place. Right. And listening right. To, to divine wisdom saying, that this is what this person needs. This isn't what this person needs. Um, and, and then my, my practice itself would be to tell that person, okay, I'm going to recommend uh, a certain physiological thing for you. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. going to help us to alleviate symptoms. It's going to help us to restore balance. But that mm -hmm. balance isn't going to remain if we don't work with the root cause. And the root cause is always in the mind. And right. So, right. so it, was, it was treatment. It was really holistic treatment. Um, operating under the legal um, banner of naturopathic uh, practice. Right. Okay. So now because you've retired, um, in what way do you serve your community now? Um, do you have uh, recurring clients that come to you or are you more on the sense of from what you've said, your, your, your workshops that you're going to be offering more on the teaching aspect to unlock that mysticism, as you said, within themselves. So how, how is it that you serve your community? Yeah, well, I, I actually only started the naturopathic practice because the AIDS pandemic was killing uh, my community, my tribe, uh, uh, you know, at, at that time, largely gay and lesbian uh, people, mostly gay men. Um, and my, otherwise, my 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 life would have probably looked a little bit different um, because by nature I'm a teacher. By nature, I'm a hands-on kind of healer, but holistic. Um, it wouldn't have gone into the really academic, clinical um, side of things. Um, and and I was I, I recognized that I railed against institutional religion from the get-go. So, excuse me, I know that would have really quickly resolved itself too. Um, and, and so now, you know, that one of the things I guess that's, that's a, a bonus that comes with being of a certain age, um, you know, I, I, I retired because of, of physical challenges, um, that, that, um, you know, presented themselves, but I see those as kind of being the way that the body just manifests the perfect, right. uh, experience for me so that I could have this freedom to be able to work more unfiltered as a teacher um, kind of being where I'm, I'm a teacher, I'm an activist, um, you know, in, in whatever we need in that moment. Right now, the moment has been extremely uh, focused on social justice work rather than physical body right. healing. 
Um, and and I right. see that it's probably being where I'm going to be focused for the next uh, chunk of time because that's where right. I where it's about alleviating suffering. And right now, there's much more suffering going on on that level than there is you know, even with COVID nineteen. Right. Absolutely. And, and and given you know the whole atmosphere that's happening um, south of us. And I mean, to a large extent here too, in Canada, um, you know, it brings not only the disease itself, but a disease of a social nature that comes forth into our community. So, you know, kudos to you for, you know, addressing that and working with that, right? So that, I think that that is very important. And it has to stay current within our society. Um, so what type of people come to you? Is it some could, let's say, um, anybody within the pagan community, uh, the witch community can come to you and you can, you know, help them in a spiritual way? Would you say that is more what you're gearing towards and, and that's how you're working? Um, I would certainly be open to that. I'm, I'm not um, the most popular person in the pagan community because um, there is a notion in, in um, United States paganism, at least, uh, there, there are two notions that, that um, I kind of uh, have, have issue with and they have issue with me. One is that it, you must be, there, there's this movement among young um, white privileged pagan males um, that okay. you have to be initiated into a, a sect, a religious sect that worships the goddess. Otherwise, you have no right to call what you're doing witchcraft or call yourself a witch. Um, I stand opposed okay. vehemently to that nonsense. Okay. Um, okay. And then, and then, because I don't identify as pagan, um, they um, they have issue with that. So so. Hey, so there are a lot of pagans who come to me and they come to me and say, you can't ever let anybody know that I'm coming to you. Um, and, and then there are people who come to me who say, um, you know, the, the, the traditional pagan path is resonating with me. I want right. to be able to, to respond to what's calling me, who's calling me. Right. Um, and, then, and then the third group of people I work with are Italians who are saying there's just something from my ancestors that are calling me and I need to understand. Right. And, and I, what I think is truly happening in every one of those three cases is uh, I, I truly believe that our ancestors, individual and collective, are calling for us to do the healing work because for me, a lot of my work is healing the ancestors. Um, Absolutely. It's, it's paying the price. A shake. That's right. Amen and Ashe. You know, it's funny. It, the the our whole show was Very well based on Very that well premises. You know, um, I know when I had come to Jean Jerome, I had a dream, and from that dream, this this show was basically created because we collectively thought about that, and you you hit it right on the nail, yeah. like the nail on the head. That's exactly what I saw was it's not so much about the, the, the framework of, of traditional paganism or witchcraft or whatever. It is us healing. We need our ancestors. We need our guides. We need our angels. We need each other, each religion. Enough of the, 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 the divisiveness of all religions. Okay. Like I am so, 
sick and tired of it. Like, seriously, I am. But at the when same time, we need to work together. Yes, embrace your individual path, whatever religious practice that may be. But that's the whole point is bring that with you, not as a distance. Those that are waiting for us to do the work, you know, when somebody tells me just recently, well, because you don't teach a path that teaches goddess worship, um, which doesn't mean that there isn't a devotion uh, to the divine feminine in my life. There certainly right. and absolutely is. Um, right. but, but it's not what I, when I'm teaching witchcraft, I'm teaching witchcraft, I'm teaching root work, I'm teaching the, the ancient path. Um, they said, so then you're not a witch and you're not practicing witchcraft. Well, my response to them was simply to say, then show up at my front door and allow me to clip a couple locks of hair and take some fingernail clippings. If what I'm doing isn't witchcraft, you shouldn't have a problem with that. And you know that they won't. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. You know, like, good for you. Well, kudos to you, you once again. I really don't I do not care what you want to call me or my my path, because I'm not going to ever sit at the popular kids table. Um, I'm not <laughs> I don't I don't write books to become bestsellers. I, I you know, yeah. I'm grateful that my books pay my bills, but they're not written for this the purpose of paying my bills. So sometimes they're not popular. But, but, you know, healing work, as far as I can tell throughout all of history, has always been messy. It's, it's never been comfortable. At least it hasn't for me. Good for you. No, and I think that that's the true work that needs to be done. You know, it's not a little package that you put and here you go and, and, and have a nice day, you know. Uh, no, yeah. I like that. And, and, I think, and I think it's, again, that's very true. I mean, it, it, this is not if you're really doing the work that you're being, your ancestor, your uh, ancestral spiritual guide and your ancestors are calling you to do, it's not mm -hmm. a popularity contest. No. I mean, if somebody goes for divination, like to to myself or even, you know, many in our community, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not there to give you the answer you want to hear. We're, we're there to tell you what Ifa or, you know, depending on the, on the divinity or the spirit that is speaking, what you need to hear and what is meant to be heard that, mm -hmm. that it's not a popularity contest mm -hmm. as you say mm -hmm. unfortunately and teresa has commented in many posts that unfortunately there is a, a general movement or a general culture almost pop culture where you know the the term paganism became uh almost like a you know like a popularity stylish you know, I want to be pagan. I want to be yes. a little bit of a rebel. And, you know, I'm going to make it look pretty. And I'm going to, you know, and it's all about the appearance and this and that. Yeah. Without any substance. Right? Yeah. yeah. Really, when spirit yeah. speaks, it's not always pretty. No. Right? No, it's and if not. anybody who really practices and really hears spirit or works with spirit, whether it be through a geomancy, a, a taromancy, or any any type of of divination system, whether it be through spirit, through possession, through clairvoyance, clairaudience, whatever. If if you're really doing the work, sometimes again, it, it's not for the faint of heart. That's why I say to many people, don't don't go for a reading for entertainment purposes. Right? Right. That, that, I mean, that term really gets my goat type of thing. Uh, I know, and yet we 
you know, that, that, that because of the society trying to mask or hide and, and to suppress, uh, you know, the real belief systems and the, the ancestral belief systems, they, they don't, they're afraid of the truth. So what's the best way right. to mask or to devalue or take away the merit of what's being said is treated as entertainment value. Right. And unfortunately, we have to work under those uh, circumstances in our society because our society is not willing to accept that. And and so be it for our legal purposes. Yeah. We have to, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. But um, no, it, it, it's true what you say, Jean-Jerome. And, you know, the other thing, too, is it's not pretty and it's not all about just you know, pretty candles and, and crystals and things like that, you know, which I have nothing against that. Oh, God, no. I love all that stuff too, right? But when it really comes problem. down to it. But in many cases, my, my, my biggest problem, and let's, let's be blunt, the only person that would have a problem with, with what with Dr. Salvato Jamaico has said, and, and because he hit, I think it's very important for it to be said, yeah. is a person which is more, again, enamored with the props with the with the fairy tale with the appearances that really doing the work right and yeah. one of the reasons why we did this where we where we put this show and produce this show was to send out a message and to provide a, a respectful platform for people who really do the work for the people that really understand the ancestral mission of the ancestral call to have a platform to to essentially cut through the the noise. I'll be polite about it. <laughs> to cut through the noise, right? And actually say, look, people, this is this is not again a joke. When you're doing you're you're in many cases, whether you be guiding somebody's destiny, I mean in case of Ifa, whether you be trying to attend to as as uh, you said, uh something very well like somebody's health or life and so forth, looking for the right mm -hmm. medicine, the right scenario to look at their situation, uh, whether it be a divination through spirit like with Teresa does, um, you know, at the end of the day, you don't have the luxury, you know, of, of being cute. You don't have the luxury of being uh, pop it. You have, you're, you're dealing with people's lives and that's what people, mm -hmm. and as you said, you know, if you think what I do is, you know, not the real, I liked your statement. Give me your, <laughs> give me your uh, nail clippings, a little bit of a lock of your hair. Well, we'll see. We'll put that to the test. Right. I said that to somebody who, who recently posted, you know, oh, real witches don't do hexes. Real witches don't do baneful work. And, and you know, Frankly, at the end of the day, well, then if th then that means I'm not a real witch, you should have no problems. Then, you know, absolutely, you know, saying, okay, you're not a real witch. Here's my hair. Yeah. Here's my clothing. You know, here's my nail clippings. Yeah. Uh, because real witches do whatever they have to do to serve the people that they serve, and we start by serving the ancestors. If you don't, yeah. then that to me, that's when you when I'm not somebody who's going to gatekeep. I'm not going to tell somebody you're not a real witch. It's not my job. It's not my interest. No. It's not my inclination. No. But if you're not serving the ancestors first, and the further back you go with the ancestors, you find out we have common ancestors, and we only have one set of ancestors, ultimately. 
Um, that's that's why I agree to do shows like this because it, it's it's my mm -hmm. opportunity, it's a rare opportunity for me to mm -hmm. to serve the oldest of my ancestors um, in in doing so. And I never have to. I don't have to know what it is that I'm healing when I do that healing work. I just have to know that that gratitude compels me that I have this life right now. Which, which included being raped at gunpoint and beaten, you know, to, to within an inch of my life uh, in 1983, which included, you know, heart disease and, and three major heart surgeries and all of this. All of that is nothing compared to what my ancestors have done for me, have given for me. So I don't have to know how I heal them. I just have to know that with every fiber of my being now, I have to want to heal anything that needs to be healed then so that future generations don't have to work nearly as hard to heal what's what I leave behind. Right, Ashe. And, and, and I just, I'm gonna to touch on three three points there because you, this is the second time you've mentioned that. In our belief systems, we, we often time, even in Ifaorisa community and Regla de Ocha and, and even Vodunfa, et cetera, there is always an emphasis on the, the basically working with ancestral spirit guides or and ancestors and and different spirits and divinity whether it be orisha whether it be voodoo whether it be loa etc that where the 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 healing work is is aimed or targeted in some cases at the individual in terms of his his living form but what you've touched on it twice and and i would just wanted to to highlight or underscore it because it might it might get past uh, some of our listeners that part of the real work in in spiritual or is to to do work that heals ancestral wounds, ancestral yes. Uh, yes. you know pain, ancestral debts. When we talk about karmic debts, some of the work is goes you know from the support of the spirit world to the earthly realm or the what we call mm -hmm. the marketplace. But part of that work also reverberates and is meant to to elevate, to to heal wounds, because people think, oh, the person passed away, or you know, the ancestor passed away, they forget all. No, <laughs> no. Anybody who knows the work, you can have very Karmic angry, spirits, very angry ancestors, and those ancestors, if you don't, if you don't address that 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 spiritual trauma. Right, that that the ancestral trauma, the spiritual trauma, you don't advance, and and you essentially are condemned to repeat many times the same trauma and the same wounds in this incarnation or this existence. Right, and and I'm I, I take it that's what you meant. You very subtly, you said it very quickly, but you're one of few practitioners I've heard that actually has made that subtle, you know, distinction. You know mm -hmm. that your your mission, as as I've heard you say, is not just to focus on the the here and now, or the individual, the human, the the living person, but also mm -hmm. to look at a, a healing any ancestral uh, pain or trauma that that may be in part mm -hmm. causing the, the human being's problems or the the live person's problems right. or the descendants' problems. But but the, you have to work it both ways, right? Yeah, because there's if we even look at it from a from a medical perspective, a scientific perspective, we have something in science and in medicine that we call epigenetics. And that is that is the uh, the imprint that previous 
uh, generations have on our DNA. And that Absolutely. particular diseases manifesting themselves in particular mm-hmm. conditions manifesting themselves that, that even can affect uh, a person's longevity. And, and so if, if, you know, as above, so below, if we see on the physical plane, epigenetics is a real thing, then it must mean there is a spiritual correlation Absolutely. to epigenetics. And that means whatever I'm experiencing right now is has has a direct result on the imprinting that my ancestors um, left Absolutely. in my genetics, left in my spiritual DNA. Absolutely. I look at that trauma, I'm, you know, first generation of World War II survivors, and I know that that trauma lives within me as it does all of us that, you know, come from immigrant parents that had to go through that war. And it's up to us to heal, not just us, but them too. You know, we have their living DNA within us. We have to heal them. And and it does. And, And I think that that's important as well, because that's why the ancestors are here now. Like in that dream that I had, they came forward because they know they can help us. But by helping us, we're helping them as well. This is a new world that we are we are birthing, you know, COVID, everybody, you know, say what you want to say. This is given an opportunity as a reset. And I will continue saying that, that this is what it's all about. It's not about the comfort of going back, oh, to our old selves. No, we're not. We're not our old selves. We can't. And yeah, that's how I don't know if it anymore. That old paradigm doesn't exist anymore. Absolutely. I want to touch on two things, uh, Jermichael. One is a a little bit of history or or from your anthropology side, because I think it's very important. People uh, look at, at, you know, let's say an Italian culture, especially in in the kingdom of Sicily or Sicily, as being monochromatic. Oh, they're Etruscan, they're they're Italian, they're white, and so forth. But when we before we actually went live on the show, we had started a, an interesting sort of segue, anthropological historical segue. Can you tell us a little bit, the audience, a little bit about really what were the, you know, the different cultures that either settled or passed through, or that really made up the both the genetic, spiritual, cultural uh, makeup uh, yeah. of Sicily? Because I, I'm sure many people. I say they have very a very narrow lens, you know, mm-hmm. of, of that. Yeah, when when I was growing up, my my family uh, would say, "Well, we're Napolitan. We're from we're from Naples," um, and uh, and there was an expression in Napolitan Italian that said that a Siciliano, a, a person from Sicily, was an African who learned how to swim, and for most people, that was pejorative. And for me, that was like an aha moment. And, and I realized because I, because I, uh, you do the work, you work with the ancestors, it's very clear that my ancestors did not look like me. And so I started down this journey in anthropology for a very specific reason. Um, I noticed when I was a kid, a, a teenager, that, uh, that there were parts of our culture, as you studied Italian history and you learned that the southern um, part of Italy was the southern kingdom of Sicily. Um, and then I started to think, well, where does, you know, these expressions, um, 
seemed to have a, a resonance of truth. I know they were meant to be mean spirited, but but they seemed to have truth. My dad is darker skinned, and and when I was a teenager, about sixteen years old, I noticed that uh, I, I'd hear the stories from the old ones, the old uh, you know uncles and aunts and grandparents and stuff like that. That when they came to this country, they were treated the exact same way that the enslaved were treated uh, a couple generations before them. Um, and and I would see pictures and the photographs were all dark skinned people who indeed didn't look very different from any of the enslaved Americans in the South, you know, people who came here from Africa in the South uh, who were enslaved. Um, and and so the light bulb that went on in my head was that in in the most tragic of senses, um, in in the period of two generations from my grandparents to me, the, and, and going across the entire uh, spectrum in, in America of Italian Americans, what kind of magic had to be harnessed out of horrible pain for Italians, Sicilians, to lighten their skin, to destroy the melanin in their bodies in order to, to avoid enslavement? And, and that to me was, was excuse my French, but that was a pretty fucked up situation to have to use magic for. You know, when we could mm -hmm. be using magic for healing, we could be using magic in such tremendous ways. Right. Instead, my ancestors did whatever they did. Now, and I understand some of the genetics that they married, you know, they intermarried with Hungarians and lighter skinned people, and yet yeah, that's fine. But but to in two generations, that doesn't match science because the, the African mm -hmm. gene is so much more dominant and so much stronger. It's the it's the origins of humanity, for goodness sake. Um, right. There, I should have been at least almost as dark as my dad, um, and and I'm not. You know, my mom's gene should not have been that dominant. But there was there. I believe there was oppressed magic that took place that said we do what we can do to survive, and and that just rips at my heart. It, it saddened me as a 16-year-old, like most 16-year-olds mm -hmm. get angry over stupid shit, the boy or the girl that doesn't like them. What, what did it to me? And then I saw my youngest sister and my youngest brother also ha clearly have that, that feeling where we felt, I, I feel, I won't speak for them, I feel like my culture was taken away from me because I wouldn't know. Like, I, I, I can't tell you why listening to Celia Cruz or listening to uh, old Connie Francis and, and Frank Sinatra um, resonated the same exact way for me. And, right. and the reason was because it was that there was the primal beat. It was that primal feeling that was deprived of me. I grew up in a household we, where we were told you're not allowed to speak Italian. You know, I learned how to speak Italian because the older ones spoke it at the table so that the little kids wouldn't understand them. And I was right. I wasn't left out of the conversation, um, and so when you think about that, I'm sure that in other cultures around the world, um, to 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 answer Jean Jerome's uh, question, the, the people of Sic Sicily were a melting pot. So so Sicil uh, you know Sicilian accent or, or, or language, what we call Sicilo, um, mm -hmm. people assume is an Italian dialect. It has it is the furthest from Italian. It's not a Romance dialect. Uh, or a romance language. 
Um, I have a natural affinity for languages. It's the hardest language that I've ever studied and I'm still not even remotely proficient. Um, it, it contains, it's closest linked to Arabic uh, in, in terms of its, of its actual uh, makeup. Then there's Basque and Celtic as, or Gaelic as, as the, the second um, highest influences, a little bit of, of uh, Spanish and finally, the smallest percentage of, of Cicciolo comes from Italy, comes from Italian. Um, so our, as goes the language, so goes the culture. And when you mm -hmm. go to Sicily, you find these, this, this architecture and design that's absolutely mm -hmm. stunning, that brings together uh, mm -hmm. components mm -hmm. that you see in, in Ireland and Scotland. Um, I, I, I personally feel like, like the, the closest thing to what happened to the Sicilians um, in in Europe also happened to the Scots. I believe Scottish mm -hmm. people were actually closer linked to Hungarian uh, Romani people, um, and and as a as a means of of uh, stopping the oppression by the by the British mm -hmm. colonialists, um, they became what we what we see more of today. So there's that magical connection that hides beneath them, just like there's the African connection that hides beneath every Sicilian and courses in our blood. Mm -hmm. No, no, absolutely. And, and in terms of, uh, and I'm sorry to focus so much on the Sicilian uh, as a locality or geography, but uh, because you mentioned Basque influence as well and another, uh, in terms, I mean, underneath the Catholic sort of envelope or the, you know, the, the appearance at a, mm -hmm. at, a, at a, you know, in terms of a spiritual or and sort of ancestral divinities, ancestral, do you find any evidence or do you find any, any remnants of, for instance, because there is an entire pantheon of Basque gods and, you know, mm -hmm. it's a very, quite, quite elaborate and as well. Uh, and also, since you mentioned the Arabic, do you have any evidence, or is there any um, any leftover in terms of things like uh, you know the the belief in in spirits like jinn? Yeah, yeah, there are, um, and, and and in fact, some of actually the the Sicilian words um, relate the the reason that they relate more clearly uh, to uh, to Arabic. Um, is because some of those philosophies are still there where where the um, sort of if you jump into the mainland of Italy, um, you have that dichotomy of uh, uh, of there's angels and there's demons, um, where in the the Arabic approach, we understand uh, the jinn can both be fearsome uh, and and you're not you're not working with uh, a, a spiritual energy. Uh, to uh, to necessary, you're not not working to to eliminate an evil spirit. You work with with the wrathful spirit to eliminate a condition. Um, so in in the in the uh, Sicilian pantheon, we see a lot of evidence of that. Stella Maris, for example, um, you know you you can see evidence of uh, both Yamaya, and you can see evidence of uh, of. Shaxi Roxy, I probably just completely slaughtered her name, um, but that, that's that's celebrated in the Canary Islands, um, and and uh, and and that's again those those layers. If we, I, I find from an anthropological perspective, if we look deeply enough at the Basque pantheon, 
Mm -hmm. uh, we we actually see uh, an evolution uh, and influences from both Egyptian and West African culture that evolved over time and and picked up other influences from you know minor influences from around them. Uh, and and so we have to kind of reverse engineer and go from Sicily back into those cultures that uh, that created mm -hmm. the island of Sicily. Um, see who conquered who at what point in time, and and you know the the conquering entity always would have a, a greater influence on that time period, um, and then you know that eventually where, where people think oh the Roman pantheon. Um, was something that that Romans created, and all of these these alabaster skinned mm -hmm. gods and goddesses actually evolved out of Etruria, and the Etrurian um, pantheon was all dark skinned, all nappy headed, um, you know, all much more you know closely related, and and then the places where you think you wouldn't find it in in France, um, you know, we find some some mysteries that uh, that help us to understand that the whole story of uh, the, the Blessed Virgin Mary was much more uh, heavily influenced by the story of Isis. Uh, and yes. then if we yes. go a little further back, we find that the story of Isis, that, that story also evolved and, and goes deeper back into you know, more ancient um, stories. Mm -hmm. so when the further, I, I suspect that the further we um, distance ourselves from religion as an institutional right and and go deeper into a spiritual relationship, then yes. then that's where the merging takes place and where um, where the difference between the story and the life and the real personality of uh, Francesco d'Assisi becomes mm -hmm. no different as 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 the a representative of somebody who embodied, wisdom and compassion. Um, so in the Catholic tradition, you got St. Francis and, and there's that San Damiano crucifix mm -hmm. shooting laser beams into his hand that were supposedly the wounds of Christ and supposedly stigmata, where in reality, Francis was such had such an embodiment of wisdom that the actual essence uh, of, of wisdom, knowledge, and compassion come together that that in other cultures might be known as Oronmiya. Um, and and Francis developed those wounds because he was the one who said there are people with, with leprosy who are dying and they're not dying because they have leprosy. They have leprosy because they're not feeding themselves because their hands might have you know just been just their fingers might have fallen off. And so he went out there and he took care of the lepers. He fed the lepers. There's there's you know, paintings that were made of it. So those wounds didn't come from a little magic laser beams that came out of a crucifix. Those wounds came from compassion. And so for me, the line, the, the line distinction between Francis and who Francis might represent in my life became really quickly blurred. And, and it became mm -hmm. one, one, evidence, one inspiration. Um, you know, maybe Francis didn't, didn't draw his inspiration from the exact same Orisha that that I see the connection there, but but who mm -hmm. say that that same truth that it's that same wisdom that says you know mm -hmm. what Francis might get a little bit freaked out if he if he you know sees this representation of me, I'll mm -hmm. appear to him and it works for him. Absolutely, it's that personal relationship that we form and forge in working 
And, it, you know, St. Francis of Assisi may be very different to you as opposed to me. And certain aspects will overlap and be the same. But it is, again, it's that personal relationship. And that's that's what this is really all about. And it's forming that connection to the other side on the spiritual realm that we're able to make effect here in this world. So, uh, Jean-Jerome, did you have any other questions oh, or anything? Uh, we're just getting warmed up. Yes, so, we are. <laughs> again, in terms of your anthropological, but also your spiritual work, what, what credence? Uh, this has been a debate or discussion we've had with other guests and, and also outside of the show within my thought practice and so forth between different uh, spiritual belief systems, for instance, from Nkisi to uh, Vodun to Orisha, sitting Bele Orisa to the Fa practices. Or what is your your understanding, or your, especially in light of what we've just talked about, mm -hmm. spiritual archetypes? The idea of a spiritual archetype, and and how does that? First of all, do you ascribe to that as aspect of the the uh, really a spiritual archetype? In the case, like we use Saint Francis of Assisi being a, you know, a spiritual archetype that is syncretized or basically equated to Orumila. What in, in practice, in, in theory, and in, in your sort of revelation through your spiritual journey, because you've been through many different belief systems uh, and also you come from a, from a well, a, a, an area which has a wealth of different traditions that have flown through and intermingled interact. What is your, your concept of that, of that you know, term spiritual archetype and how does that how does that resonate with you? I I think I think that's an awesome question. I think that's a um, an area that will serve humanity um, in, in the greatest in the in this coming time is understanding that um, again that this dichotomy doesn't have to exist that we don't have to choose between working with an archetype or working with a god or an orisha or or a, a spirit. Um, that both things can be possible at once. And so I believe that for the whole of humanity, it goes back to the, the belief that that's, uh, you know, the birthplace of civilization for me, uh, that the birthplace of civilization is in Africa. And so they are the oldest of our, our ancestors. Um, and so it's very possible for an archetype, which all of humanity shares and might express itself in various ways in different cultures, um, a, a great way to, to move us out of our part of the world into another part of the world that we, we may be less comfortable um, with so that we can look at it more objectively is in, uh, in Tibet, um, the archetype of compassion is Chen Rezig. Uh, in India, it's Avalokiteshvara. Um, and both of those are male. But if we go just a little further east, we have Kuan Yin. And Kuan Yin mm -hmm. is that archetype is the exact is the identical syncretized uh, essence of Avilokiteshvara, um, but Kuan Yin is female, um, mm -hmm. and so so ultimately we all have these needs for the same the archetypes that represent the same spiritual qualities that we have. Um, mm -hmm. One might be the, the spiritual um, the, the expressions of the one. Um, and we all have this sense that there is, whether whether we're religious or scientific, um, you can call it um, the one or source or God or 
uh, goddess or whatever you want to call it, or you can call it zero point energy or dark matter. But from this unknowable um, reservoir of, of essence, energy. all things mm -hmm. all manifest. And so that means that among the all things that manifest are all the qualities, the quality of the mother. Um, who gives life to, to everything that, that arises from the sea and then moved on to the land. The quality of wisdom and knowledge, the quality of the fearsome mm -hmm. uh, defender, the fire who brings the fire. Uh, and so in, in every tradition, um, there, there are those archetypes. And I think the challenge is in both recognizing the universality so that we stop drawing those effing lines in the sand um, that mm -hmm. I'm right or wrong, we're both striving for the same thing. And, and it says, my responsibility is, is, is me. I got to do me. And so I yeah. need to find my ways of connecting to those archetypes. For some yeah. people, it, it just seems more natural for me that those archetypes have physical relationships, personal relationships, I should have said. Um, and, and so for me, they are with with actual entities for others maybe that it's possible to connect with those archetypes in a strictly jungian sense where where you say okay i know this is just a representation it's just a metaphor it's a part of me um mm -hmm. all of us that there is no difference between that yes i do believe the archetypes represent a part of who i am as a person yes yes but i'm as a person can't be extracted from who the the orishas right. are who the gods are, who the saints are. Absolutely. Of the one. And so ultimately, um, you know, I mean, I, I tell people, you know, with tongue in cheek, that that's why if you go into a group of, of gay spiritual seekers, gay male spiritual seekers, there will be 50 out of a group of 100 guys who think, who swear to you that they were Cleopatra in their last life. <laughs> it's, it's not that they were. It's that that's their their aspirational goal is to right. is to you know connect to that essence, and and so our challenge as we go forward is is to aspire a little bit higher. No 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 shade to Cleopatra, but let's no. aspire to something a little bit greater than that. Um, right. And, and that's where we where we do that ancestral healing. That's where we do that deeper connection. Um, and that's where we, we truly become of service, I think, to all of humankind and not just to that our tribe gets bigger is, is what happens. Yeah, uh -huh. absolutely. And, and that's the you hit it right on the nail again. Our tribe, our tribe is humanity. OK, not okay. not color, not, you know, whatever. OK, we are a tribe and we've got to start treating each other that way you know, and with respect. Unfortunately, it's kind of hard sometimes, especially with what's going on, you know, politically and, and socially. But I think we'll get through this. I, I really do. So and we have to do it. I think I, I just want to say, I think we have to do it with, well, I, I don't want it to sound like I'm saying, you know, um, we should be colorblind and, um, and the world is my tribe. And therefore, um, you know, I, I, don't have to acknowledge that I live as a racist um, just by virtue of the color of my skin, no matter how close the genealogical ties might be, no matter what ancestry DNA says. 
Um, I would love to be able to be colorblind, but until I recognize that, um, that that's white privilege speaking, mm -hmm. um, that, I, can, that I, I do respect the fact that I can't know um, and I'm grateful that I can't know the pain that those right. with more melanin Absolutely. experience. Um, it just doesn't mean that they're not my brother and they're not my sister and that they're not my responsibility. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. Exactly. Let's not just, pardon the pun, whitewash everything. We have to acknowledge that, you know, a part of our humanity, a part of us is is hurting and we have to acknowledge that. And if that means acknowledging you know, people with different colored skin, so be it, right? So question in terms of, we have a, we have a question from the audience, but just before we, we, I just post that question, uh, you mentioned divination, uh, you know, going through the different uh, belief mm -hmm. systems you've you've gone through in your own uh, sp spiritual sensitivity and clairvoyance. What would you say is your what what is your main system of dynamics? You made it, which I like very much as well. Before you apply treatment, you immediately consult. You do consultation. You do divination to assess the situation. Uh, is it possible to know which is your chosen? Uh, method of divination? Yeah, for, for me, um, fire and water scrying are, are my first go-to. Um, if, if I don't have an opportunity to do either one of those, obsidian scrying uh, would, would be my go-to. Um, if I have to, and it's, and it's a big if I have to, because I'm not ever convinced that, that I have to do this, um, I've used things like oracle cards and, and, uh, and dream work even. Um, I, I put dream work in a completely different category for me because it's it's much less divinatory as it is consultative. It's that's when I you know get to pull up the chair and listen. Um, but um, for for the majority of, of divination for me, it's either number one fire scrying, um, number two would be water scrying, uh, and and in the absence of having a like the proper bowl a dark enough bowl to be able to see clearly i always have obsidian with me mm -hmm. interesting very interesting okay. okay so i'm gonna pass to, on to a question uh from jay sword she's been very active thank you very much for your your questions yes, and, thank you, Jay. Jay. and your um, comments yes she says in aradia gospel of the witches by charles g leland how authentic would you say was his portrayal of folk ways or folk magic? And in corollary to that, she says, in Italian culture specifically. That's an amazing and an awesome question. It's actually part of what I, I uh, talk about uh, in, in the course of teaching and in the book, because I think it's so um, misunderstood. I, yes. I, we have no way of knowing for sure whether, um, whether uh, Charles Leland, who was a brilliant folklorist, um, he was from my hometown of Philadelphia. So, you know, major props to Philly for producing a brilliant folklorist in general. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have a way of knowing whether the the Vangelo, the, the Gospel of the Witches, was really given to him by this woman, uh, Madalena, or not. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it was or wasn't, I would say that the uh, 
there's question about authenticity. If it was given to him by Madalena, um, then it only represents, and, and let's say right up front, it, it's non-representative whatsoever about Italian witchcraft or about Italian folk magic or about any of the, the um, root work or anything else that, that Italian witches do. It has nothing to do with Stegonaria. It is entirely about the old religion, the cult of Diana, the, the cult of Lucifer, Morning Star, um, however, however you want to look at it. So, so, and so in that respect, it is uh, only partially authentic in that it only represents one small piece of the literature, I mean, of the, of the liturgy mm -hmm. that would take place within the Dionic cult. Um, it's, it's the part, it's the public facing part that anybody could experience. The deeper mysteries, as with any initiatory tradition in their religion, um, are, are not represented at all in the gospel of, of the witches. And so I think what happened was Leland gave his interpretation. He imagined that it had to do entirely with witches, which it doesn't. Um, and so nothing that an Italian witch would do, who was not a part of the old religion, is reflected at all in, in that in that liturgy that's that's uh, that's explained in the gospel in the so-called Vangelo, um, okay. and and not the full picture of of what would take place for a practitioner of that religion is is portrayed either. So so it's one of those things that like in in one of my books in Magic at the Crossroads, I include the entire Vangelo at the end because it's it's open source. It's it's uh, you know in the public domain. Um, so that people can see, it really doesn't talk about Italian witchcraft at all. It doesn't talk about, it only tells us the story, the myth, that Diana and her brother um, became intimate and gave birth to Aradia. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the question I think that it, that it begs at the end is, so what? You know, like, so they gave birth to Aradia and Aradia was supposedly a witch. Um, you know, and, and claims that she was the first of the witches, but then, you know, if she was the first of the witches, why didn't she stick around? And why did she have to come back in, I don't know, it was, I think it was the 1300s or the 1400s when they say she was born again. Um, it just sounds suspiciously like too many other mythos that we've heard before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I find and that interesting. Fingerprints of the Catholic Church all over it too. Right, uh, you know, it's funny because I, when I read that book, I thought, okay, so how does this relate to being witches? Are we just assuming that it is and that's what it's about? There was nothing, it was nothing more than a mythology to me. And another name for, you know, utilizing in the, in the sense of identifying a goddess figure or an aspect of the goddess. But was it really? I mean... I don't know. People put a lot of emphasis on that book. I read it. It didn't do a whole lot for me, put it that way, other you than know, it, it, it provided a myth, a mythology. The, the reason it's had influence in, in the 20th century is we desperately as human beings um, cling to and, and hunger for origin stories. And, and that being Enough. the circle of witches, the, the origin story of witches, 
is better than what I think the truth probably is that Gerald Gardner um, took those stories and took um, Margaret Murray's yeah. interpretation of those stories and, and perhaps lied when he said that he was initiated into a witchcraft's coven that never, that nobody else ever heard of and, and might not have ever existed before he created his own magical path. Um, and then because Gardner did it at the same time, um, one might say, you know, uh, Alex Sanders wasn't able to, uh, uh, to really provide any real uh, veracity to his claims of being initiated either. And his story sounded remarkably like Gardner's. Um, and, and, you know, that was an easier story to use as an origin story than to mm -hmm. say, hey, you know what, I've read a lot of occult teachings because I think both of them actually drew most of what they learned from the Rosicrucians, from the uh, from the, the Golden Dawn and, and, and all of the, the occult theos, uh, Theosophical Society, um, yes. you know, Rudolf Steiner and all of them. It, why not just say, you know what, guys, I've read this. This is really inspiring to me, These all these occult practices. I think I'd like to create a tradition, um, a mm -hmm. living tradition that, you know, may or may not be similar to what the practitioners of old did. You know, because at the end of the day, who cares what the practitioners of old did? Our responsibility is not to be, not to live in the past, it's to live in the present moment. Absolutely. And in the present moment, our tradition has to be living and breathing and dynamic and has to always Absolutely. seek new expressions. And, and so let's create, I mean, I tell my students now, I'm teaching you a class on, that, that's informed by my practice of Stegonaria over the last 50 years. But my hope is that, that when we're done, because there is no initiation uh, that I'm going to offer any of you, any of the 21 students I have right now, mm -hmm. um, there's no initiation. At the end, I want you to initiate in the, mysteries, in the mysteries that get revealed to you. And let's create something postmodern. Let's not do a neo-pagan tradition. Gardner and all those guys already did that. And there's nothing right. wrong with so, any of those traditions. They're beautiful. They're amazing. They're they're just uh, they they create the tapestry that is magic itself. But mm -hmm. but let's let's pick up the ball and run with it in the postmodern world and say maybe it's time for us to create an expression that mm -hmm. responds to this world, this moment, the needs of our culture and society today, and and maybe that the the play that or the the position that religion plays in that might be a little different than it was in the 1950s. I mean, let's hope it is. Let's hope it's more reflective of who we are as a, as right. a diverse people. Right. No, I totally get what you're saying, and, and I agree. Um, but bringing it back to the perspective of Ifa, Jean Jerome, we, as practitioners, it's very important to have that ancestry behind us. Am I correct? So, you know, it's, it's marrying the old traditional ways with, making it modern right how would you well, think, how would you sum it up jean jerome in that well, sense I, well i think there's a there's you know it's a delicate balance everything about ifa really mm -hmm. is quite a balance right mm -hmm. balancing the the light or the dark with the light and trying to find equilibrium so that you can accomplish your destiny or mission so part of that is you're, you're resting on the lessons the, the teachings the traditions that were passed on you know, from father to son to daughter over, you know, 
centuries or millennium and you know practicing and being able to honor those traditions and beliefs but one thing that we always point out is the fa is not a was never meant to be really a dogmatic belief system in that the the ifa because of its geomancy and various forms of communication bi-directional communication with the spirit world allows there to be you know always a constant dialogue and also the ability to adapt right there are odus ifa like okanaroto that says to the land that you go do what you see right there's a, a, a aspect of adaptability and dialogue in the sense you know where your ancestors may say hey you know this worked for me and my and my right. when i walk the earth but i know this is not going to work for you you need to go beyond this adapt adapt absolutely right? so there, there is a, a fine balance between honoring the traditions and having that that basis of the mysteries of the history and everything else but again we we are we living in the present because the past we no longer have and the future we may or may not have right so we have to we have to make the best we can in the present and we have to be flexible the moment we become dogmatic or mm -hmm. we become you know to try to be totalitarian in the belief system we 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 mm -hmm. we lose the essence of right. the of the of the of that spiritual connection and that spiritual dialogue that you know that is the heart of our belief system and again, in Ifa, every destiny is different. Every every person mm -hmm. who chooses their destiny in Obedi, they choose a unique destiny. They may appear under, it may be classified under one of the 256 Odus of Ifa, but each 256 Odus of Ifa has hundreds of Itan, hundreds of stories and variations that precisely talk about the story and the experiences of, of their ancestor within that living the influence of that energy of that Odu and how they they were able to to manifest it and to you know live their life and then add each story adds a different context, a different history, a different uh, medicine, if you will, that basically makes up a, uh, an ever growing really uh, corpus mm -hmm. of Ifa. Right. So, I mean, how many how many of us are are, are abuelas or, or grandmothers or, or nanas would ever have imagined just in their generation that that there would be an expression of the one on their television set because they couldn't imagine the internet, and yet today you're making that living teaching available around the world in a way that even in, in our grandparents' uh, time, they could only imagine being like local because, you know, Ed Sullivan was on TV and, you know, like they couldn't imagine Ed Sullivan having on, uh, you know, a, a teacher um, who would reach around the world. Um, mm -hmm. Even though saw the Beatles get on on his show and reach around the world. So, so where the tradition lives and, and one day people will look back and say, oh, you know how quaint it was back in, in 2020? They were doing this little show on the internet. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, somebody's going to be watching this show on a rerun on Mars or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Telepathic>. <laughs> oh, goodness. But, oh, uh, 
No, but but I mean, like just just as as simple, but you know, talking about the technology, I like the concept about not, and I listened very carefully on that part, especially because my my background, half my time is spent in technology for the last twenty seven years, and half the time is spent in IFA. I work both sides, right? Because I'm a director of I, uh, ICT consulting and secure cloud services, so technology has always been a very very integral part of my life. So the, the what you mentioned about not having the dichotomy. You know that separation between magic and technology, magic and science, really resonates with me personally. But uh, but I mean, one of the things we talk about dogma or or sorry, like you know, because of tradition, because of you know the way you know you know ifa or, or the, even the process of divination was done in person, face to face, and so forth. There was a time like two three years ago where there was a big debate between you know traditional practitioners saying oh you know what's this thing about uh, internet consult or consulting by internet and everything else not understanding that ifa and any spirit has no barrier of space and time right you can be anywhere it's just another to be able to see the person but the funny thing is again showing adaptability all of a sudden pandemic hits and everybody, their grandmother, who has an internet connection, who was doing things, you know, no, we can only do it, you know, in person and all that. And I was like, okay, I have a Zoom account. I have a WhatsApp. I have a Facebook. I, I can do this. Really, I can. Because all of a sudden, you realize, if you don't adapt, you disappear, right? They can't help. They yeah. can't provide medicine. They can't provide the healing. And, and that's, you know... You're basically you're 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 in a, you confine yourself to a situation which which basically is a, is an end game, right? And where mm -hmm. you're you're no longer serving spirit because you're you're stuck in 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 a in a habit, you're stuck in a in a in an outdated, or basically a limiting belief mindset yourself, right? A mindset. So, so no, very sure. Now, before we, we transition to final questions and comments, because we're, we're coming close to the, the, the two-hour mark, we're 50 minutes to the, the second hour, I cannot end the show without at least having you say something a little bit more, uh, Dr. Salvato, about, you mentioned you, 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 you're very good. You're, you're, uh, one of our, of our guests who often tunes in is Melvin. He says, I wish I could contribute to the conversation, but this is all new to me. So just wanted to say hello. And I'm enjoying the show. Also, Dr. Jim Michael is very well spoken, and I will concur with that. Absolutely, absolutely. In your very well spoken style and 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 vast knowledge, one thing I cannot let you get off this show without telling me, or at least talking a little bit about, is what you just glanced or glazed over, which is the Dianic and Lucifer Morning Star cult. And I remember hearing in one of your other shows where you touched on it briefly, but that the conceptualism of those two figures, but especially Lucifer Morningstar, was very different in terms of what you described the reality of that, you know, divinity or that spiritual entity versus the, the typical uh, demonized, you know, sort of Roman Catholic uh, association of the term Lucifer, the light bearer to be, uh, you know, Satan or devil or the antagonist to the mm -hmm. Almighty. Mm -hmm. can, is it possible without betraying anything? Can you touch on that a little bit more? So people, because I'm sure people heard it and they, they're they're like, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
and because I'm no longer um, a, a priest in the Dionic uh, tradition and the old religion, um, I can um, I can do that without breaking oaths or anything like that. I can tell you that um, first of all, in our tradition, there the the concept of what some might classify as good and evil, like like angels and demons, um, are is is no different than what as what modern practitioners of magic might consider the difference between baneful and uh, and healing magic. Um, so so there are spiritual entities that work with the wrathful aspect of the divine, and there are spiritual entities that work with the um, the healing aspect of the divine. And so um, among those um, is is the um, and, and that that we talked about archetypes a little bit. So there are there is there are archetypal representations of the planets um, and the aspects that the planets have um, and and the and the energies that those planets have. So we have Venus, uh, Diana, uh, and and then we have the Morning Star um, uh, representation in in Lucifer or Dianus. Um, early on in the in the um, development of the mythos in in the Etrurian legend, um, it was Uni and Tana. Um, so it was the divine masculine, the the divine feminine, who represented uh, the moon, Diana, uh, or Uni and the morning star venus um, somewhere along the lines and it's not really clear because the mythology doesn't follow the same path all over italy somewhere along the lines diana suddenly became um, also representative of, of venus and my suspicion as an anthropologist is that um, somewhere along the line a feminist just said uh you know enough the divine masculine the divine feminine they're both one and the same. And so in the story, there is some, some overlap as well. Um, we, have, we have representations, in, and one of the things I thought was kind of cool about the, the way that names occurred in the Italian traditions um, and the Etrurian traditions was uh, that they are also similar. We have fauna and faunus. Um, so we have the, the god and goddess of the fauna. We have... Um, uh, Lupercus and Luperca, we have uh, Diana and Dianus, uh, and so the, this this person of of uh, Lucifer, of the light bearer, um, was just the that that dichotomy between or that balance interplay um, between the moon and the light and the bearer of the light. Um, so it's a completely different person than um, than the Christian than the entirely made up character of satan in the christian mythos um which is some mm -hmm. kind of devil guy you know which which was based on a misunderstanding of hashetan who in the in the hebrew tradition yes. was yes. the adversary so the the adversary of the hebrew tradition was more like the prosecuting attorney he was never a bad guy he was uh you know that he was the right. prosecutor who said okay isn't it true that you were at such and such a place on such and such a time and this was your motivation it, his only role his role was a, was to serve at the right hand of the one um as right. the prosecuting attorney and and somehow you know that just like the just like pope gregory the um the second um turns the um, character in the in the christian scripture of mary uh magdalene somehow into a whore 
which right. is absolutely which is not anywhere to be found in the actual scripture itself. The church manipulates stories and manipulated the story of Hashetan into Satan. Um, and then in order to manipulate and control people, all of a sudden they gave him the characteristics uh, that would be more closely linked with Pan or Lupercus. Um, and, and suddenly that became Lucifer, where, where in the original Greek versions of the Bible, um, Lucifer is mentioned I think something like 200 and some times, but every one of those mentions is a reference actually to the Christ. So it's not a mention of, of a devil. It's a mention of their own, uh, you know, resurrected God. Uh, so, so and, and then when we start looking at some of these ancient stories, we see that they did a fair, <laughs> more than a fair amount, I'm being generous, um, amount of stealing from everybody else's mythos and stories to create the stories that that um, were told in in their New Testament, um, you know, including a fair amount of taking from the Etruscan legends and the Egyptian legends, um, you know. Otherwise, we wouldn't have. I, I don't know that I could reach it, but you know, when when I, I thought it was cute that a bunch of the little older ladies um, in my uh, in my group uh, that I run on Facebook saw this picture and they saw this picture and they saw the Blessed Virgin Mary and said oh that's really beautiful that's that's mary and jesus when they went to egypt when he was uh which which if they paid attention to their story that would have been when he was 11 or 12. um but if we move a little bit closer you notice the there's there's diana and dianos or isis and osiris uh, where are we i think of doing this um you know there is the that's a representation of isis right. not a representation of mary so, so my point for doing that sketch was actually just to show that that there is this this universality or this interweaving of Over sacred that. myths, and and Lucifer is one of those great ones that we um, you know that we really miss out on because the because as the Morning Star, um, he's the bearer of wisdom. There is there is a greater connection um, to Saint Francis or to Oromia uh, in in. The, the true story of of Lucifer of the Morning Star of Dianus, um, than there is to this you know mystical mythological Christian devil. Right, right. So I just wanted to just for clarification. So there is stregon stregoneria, which is the actual practice, right? As opposed to the old religion, which we were just talking about, the mythos. Am I correct in believing that? Just yes, stregoneria just simply means witchcraft. It, it's the it's, right. it's the root word. Craft, yeah. And then the old religion, which you could, which you may or may not have been part of, it wasn't required right. to practice the craft. Right. The old religion um, is just referred to as the vecchia religione, the old religion. There's okay. so many different ones. You could be maybe part of a Dionic cult. Um, you might be part of uh, of the cult of Demeter. You might be part of the the mm -hmm. cult of Lupercus or uh, or, or Pa. Um, mm -hmm. The Janara that was another cult that was Jana and Janus. Um, so it depended on where you were from and 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 who the local gods and goddesses were um, okay. in that and the and the the era you know like where where you were right. in terms of timeline. Right. 
Okay. All right. Thank you for that clarification. Yes. I wanted to make sure that that was a distinction because that's how I was listening to what you were saying and, and describing the old religion in that way. Um, I remember reading something once and I don't know where I picked it up uh, where, you know, someone was saying something about Catholicism and, and, and some Catholic priest had made some comment to a woman, um, you know, like you better be careful or else, you know, and she's ah, you know what, you can be replaced like that, our religion. And when she was saying our religion, she was referring to her old religion has been around a lot longer than, you know, Christianity itself. Right. So, and I remember when I came upon that reading, I thought, you know what, good for you. Exactly. You know, well, but it also it also underscores uh, just as a sort of uh, uh, as we sort of uh, conclude, it, it also underscores that you know a religion or belief system which is practiced by well over a billion people all over the world, and has been one of the belief systems most associated with the colonization, the enslavement, mm -hmm. the, the eradication. Uh, of you know entire cultures and the and still brainwashing. today the brainwashing as well uh, absolutely you know, essentially and then claiming you know a set of dogmatic rules that were cherry picked from different belief yeah. systems and based yeah. on political economic and social political control yeah. uh, uh, objectives. You know, it, it's interesting how that is the belief system that is oftentimes one of the belief systems that is oftentimes the first in, in, in line to criticize, to still today suppress, yep. um, uh, malign, uh, uh, demon, uh, you know, the other indigenous belief systems that, you know, uh, care and, and immense cultural, spirit, and religious basis, right? Yep. No, Absolutely. for sure. Are we breaking up a little there? We're, I feel like the screen is freezing. Jean-Jerome. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. I think, because we're probably getting a lot of activity. Uh, and Melvin says, to be fair, though, if we're looking at it from a story purpose and converting people through a story, then a bad guy is needed. The Satan that we know of in the Abrahamic, Abrahamic belief was created for that very purpose, to be the bad guy so people can look to a hero. Sadly, it's a brilliant form of control and we lose our thoughts because we have fear of the bad guy. Good one, Melvin. No, you're right. And, and, we, and we just need to be a little more clear in that it's that is not the character from the Abrahamic traditions. That's the character from right. the Catholic and their and therefore Christian tradition. That Satan does not exist in the in the Abrahamic traditions overall. A completely different character exists in the in the Judaic and the Islamic. Shatan. Uh, right. you know, yeah. That's right. And even earlier, the the Zoroastrian tradition, the 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 opposing of Ahura Mazda uh, as God and Hariman as the sort of the, the, the juxtaposition of that. Right. So, right. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we have one other comment. Such a fascinating show. Thank you to you all. Thanks, Claire, for tuning in. <laughs> 
so Claire's one of our one of our loyal watchers. Absolutely, but I'm going to just before I I, I I showcase one of our most loyal watchers of this show, because oh. we just got we just got some live feeds of of one of our most steadfast uh, watchers of the show, which I'm going to showcase and share my screen. Uh, Dr. Salvador, do you have a quote? I mean, after your, your trajectory and, and different, you know, spiritual belief system, do you have a quote that more or less summarizes or believe this philosophy? Yeah, I think I think I, I tried to give some thought to that when uh, when we were preparing for the show, and and there were two, and I couldn't decide which one I liked better. Um, and they're probably two of the most, uh, the two quotes from two sources that people would least expect to come out of my mouth. Um, but okay. one of them comes from um, the, a book called The Doctrine and Covenants that was written by a, a guy by the name of Joseph Smith, who is the founder of the Mormons, or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, and in that, um, one, of the, one of the bits of okay. wisdom that he and the very beginning of that book is that happiness is the object and design of our existence. And I've, and I've always loved that. Um, it, it just seems like it was out of, maybe a little bit out of place in the book that it came, came with. But, um, but that like really struck me. And, and I always try to find wisdom in every book. Um, and then the other source, uh, which again, people are gonna think is a little, is not what you would expect from somebody who spent the last, you know, 35 years in academia, um, really diving into these amazing books of, of occult wisdom. Um, but it comes from, from Sir Terry Pratchett, um, you know, who some of you might recognize as being the, the author of the book behind uh, Practical Magic. And, and in, a, in an unrelated book, he says, wisdom comes from experience and experience is often a result of a lack of wisdom. And, and I actually have that on a bulletin board in my other office um, because that just sort of reminds me to keep it humble and to keep it real. Um, and that the only way that we're gonna ever uh, evolve as people is to recognize that our wisdom comes from our experience. So it's not, it's not what's in the books. It's not what's in the, in the oral tradition, right. it's what the oral right. tradition inspires in us. And, and it'll never inspire us if we don't recognize that at the end of the day, it's not about what we know, it's about what we don't know. Um, and, and that just gets me, uh, gives me the energy to get my ass out of bed in the morning and say, and motivation. Let's, find out, let's find out today what I don't know. Good one. Thank you. Thank you so much. That. Well, Thank it's been a God. very good show. I've quite enjoyed this, and I'm so glad. I feel like I've made a friend. So thank you, Gian. Can I call you Gian Mark? How do you like to be John called? Gian Michael? Michael. John Michael. John Michael. Okay. And oh, and here since his birth, this godson of Jean Jerome's loves to tune into our show. Okay, and here he is once again, little mojo. He's hilarious. Look at him. I won't look <laughs> at What's he doing now? <laughs> he's, watch, he's watching the show. He was trying to get a, a different angle. <laughs> and uh... oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, 
That's awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. I hope it's been a Oh, and now oh, his sister little... is joining in the fun. Okay, of course, little Titi. Titi Hello, Titi. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for joining. Thank you for joining us. Have me on, I say. Yes, no, and I want to thank everybody. Yes, and I wanted to thank everybody who tuned in to our episode 16. And I hope everybody's enjoying themselves and have a good weekend, everyone. Have a safe weekend. Take care to all. And once again, thank you to our esteemed guests. It was very nice meeting you. I so enjoyed the show. Thank, thank you. you very much. And thank and you, Jean Jerome. Thank you, <laughs> Teresa, as always. And I just want to make a special announcement for next week, uh, next Friday, we have uh, our first guest from uh, England, uh, uh, yes. Jenny Uzel, who is a Druid uh, and part a member of the OBOD and Ovate grade of BDO at Bardic grade. Uh, so she'll be joining us next uh, Friday. So I hope everybody will tune in. Once again, thanks to our, our guest, uh, Dr. Salvato. And uh, yeah. until next time. Right. Oh, and John Jerome, also, just if yeah. anybody needs to contact Dr. Salvato, you can reach him at and yeah. at the bottom. There we go. Yeah, I've been, sc I've been scrolling at yeah, the contact information. That's right. Right. Yes, and anybody yeah. can contact you, uh, John Michael, for any um, workshops that you have upcoming or something like that? For anything. And, and, and by, by all means, just call me John Michael. That I'm not, I don't stand on formality or titles or anything else. All I just right. always forget all when I'm getting ready to do these to take the doctor part off there. <laughs> all right. No, Thank no, you so much. You have it. You're, 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 you're. Yeah. All right. Well, well. Blessings to everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Bye-bye. All right.